0: What a great conference this has been, and I can't believe we've already now come to the, to the end. It seemed like, seems like we just started. Um, what a great theme we have had. Uh, Harry Walls, thank you so much for selecting this theme on walking in wisdom. Uh, it's been so good for my own heart to revisit this pa- these passages in Proverbs and think about my own life and how I need to walk in wisdom all the more and then to have the privilege to be able to preach with John MacArthur and Tom Pennington. um, This is just such a wonderful uh, joy and privilege, and to be able to meet so many of you um, before these uh, services. Uh, I just thank God for this school, all that it represents, all that it stands for, its firm stance to the Word of God, to the Lordship of Christ, the sovereign reign of God. Uh, I'm so thankful that I have had four children, three sons and one daughter, who have graduated from the Master's University, and so I feel so connected to this school and indebted to this school. So, it is a privilege upon privilege upon privilege for me to be able to stand here and now to be able to open God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. As we bring the conference to conclusion, our final session is entitled The Reward of the Righteous. And there are many different places to which we could go in the book of Proverbs, but tonight I want to draw your attention to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3 and I want to read verses 1 through 12, which will be our focus tonight. And in my Bible, I have a New American Standard Bible. At the heading of this unit, it just simply reads, The Rewards of Wisdom. And so this passage, I think, really begs to be unfolded before our eyes tonight and before our hearts, because we find here, the rewards of wisdom. So let me begin by reading the passage. I want to set it before you, and you'll be very familiar, especially with verses 5 and 6. But verse 1 begins, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life. And peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Now here comes this passage with which we are very familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth, and from the first of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom He delights." These verses are all about the reward of the righteous. The question that I want to put before you as we begin our time together in this text is very simply this. What difference does it make in your life if you walk in wisdom? What would it matter if you applied wisdom to your life? I mean, does not God's grace cover all our sins? Has He not taken our sins and hidden them behind His back? Has He not taken our sins and buried them in the sea of His forgetfulness? Does He not say He remembers our sins no more? Has He not wiped the slate clean? The answer to that is a resounding yes. So what difference would it make that I walk in wisdom If my eternal home is already settled and secure, does not God cause all things to work together for good, both good and evil things? So, what difference would it make for me to walk in wisdom? Why should I sweat wisdom? And is there really a reward for following wisdom? And if so, What is this reward? And if so, what is the condition that I must meet to have this reward? What must I do? And what will God do? Well, the answers to these questions are found right here in this important passage in these verses in Proverbs chapter 3. And you'll note, I just read 12 verses. It forms a literary unit. This is one discourse, this is one lesson, and it breaks out into six couplets of two verses each. Verses one and two is one couplet, three and four a second, five and six, seven and eight. Here are six couplets of two verses each, and they lay out with perfect symmetry. The first verse is always the requirement. The second verse of the couplet is always the reward. So it's a very predictable pattern as we move through this passage. First, my responsibility, then God's reward. My responsibility, then God's reward. My responsibility, then God's reward on through verse 12. This text screams the reward of the righteous. It will be obvious to us tonight what is the reward of the righteous? But also we will see, what is my responsibility? What is the condition that I must meet in order to experience God's reward? And so, as we look at these verses, they they are vitally important to our daily Christian life. I need this. You need this. If you're breathing here tonight, you need this. So, let's begin now these six couplets, there's really five headings, and I think that you will see this. And the first is verses 1 through 4. They really cluster together. There are two couplets here because this is so foundational. And the first main heading that I want to set before you is, Obey God. Obey God. That is what is taught in verses 1 through 4. Uh, Solomon begins this at the most basic point, our responsibility to obey the Word of God. So we begin in verse 1, my son, how personal this is, how, how pressing this is, how individual this is to each and every one of us. My son, and you ladies could say, he would be saying, my daughter, do not forget my teaching." We cannot let the Word of God be before our eyes, and then we forget what we saw. We cannot let the Word of God come in one ear and then out the other. The word teaching is a Hebrew word, Torah, for which we derive the word law, God's holy law. And what Solomon is teaching his son, and what this sage is teaching his, his student, is not something that he himself has concocted he is teaching the very law of god the very word of god and how it relates and how it applies to everyday life and we all have a tendency to forget what we know and so solomon begins do not forget my teaching and let not your heart but let your heart keep my commandments. How interesting. The teaching here are also, is also the commandments. In other words, there is a moral responsibility that each one of us has to the teaching of Scripture because they come not just as information, they come as commandments. The teaching of Scripture is not God's suggestions for our life. Uh, they come not as options that are, that are laid out before us, and we can pick and choose what we would like to have. The goal here with Solomon is not information, it is transformation. The teaching is only a means to a greater end. It's not just simply to have it in the head or to have it in a notebook. It must be followed in life. These teachings are commandments and they come with binding authority upon our lives. There is the sovereignty of God that is expressed through the teaching of all Scripture. And Solomon must remind us that the teachings come as commandments. The goal is that we would walk in obedience to the Word of God. I mean, that's at the very heart of the Great Commission, to go into all the world. And to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them all things that I have commanded you." Now, this calls for for obedience on each and every one of our part, and I want to just remind you of what this obedience is. I mean, we must obey biblically, number one. This is to the teaching and the commandments that are being passed down from God through Solomon to us. He is not asking his sons and his students to to follow man's rules or to follow man's traditions, but to follow the teachings and the commandments that have come from God. We must obey wholeheartedly. In other words, from the very depth of my heart, desire to obey God. And third, we must obey comprehensively. In other words, the the whole of Scripture makes demands upon my life, and I cannot simply single out some parts of God's Word to follow and then pass over others, and it must be applied to every aspect of my life. Uh, Fourth, we must obey God's Word immediately. Delayed obedience is no obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. As soon as the Word of God speaks to us, we must quickly obey it, and we must obey steadfastly, meaning a long obedience in the same direction. It can't just be an obedience over the weekend or or obedience for, for a semester. It is an obedience that is to mark the rest of our lives as long as we are here. Listen, the reward of righteousness goes to those who are obedient to the Word of God, and when you are disobedient and pursue a path of disobedience, you are walking away from God's reward. And look at the reward in verse 2. He tells us, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do you see that he's saying that if you will obey the Word of God, that you will live longer here upon this earth? What kind of strange teaching is this? And are there not exceptions to this? These are proverbs, not promises. And on the whole, generally speaking, this is true. But there are some who die young. Stephen died young. Jesus Christ himself died young. Robert Murray McShane died at age 29. David Brainerd died at age 29. So, what? How do we take this? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Well, as a general rule, Solomon is teaching us wisdom that if you walk the path of obedience on a broad scale basis, most people, most believers will live longer. And why is that? Well, those who follow the Word of God trust in the Lord, and they have less stress, and many have, are less prone to heartache or dying young from anxiety. But more than that, those who follow the Word of God generally take better care of their body, for they consider it the the temple of the Holy Spirit of God in which God dwells, and they care for their body, but also they avoid bad company that will lead them into dangerous situations that could be life-threatening. But on top of that, if you follow the Word of God, you will avoid committing crimes for which there is the death penalty. And more than that, if you will follow the Word of God in obedience, you will be You will be guarded from a premature death of God's discipline that He brings upon disobedient believers at times. I mean, that's what happened to Moses. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. That's what happened to many of the believers in the church at Corinth because they came to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and they died a premature death. The Lord just took them out because They were living in open disobedience. So God's reward is length of days and length of years of life. But He also goes on to say, "...and peace they will add to you." The word peace here is a word that you're familiar with, shalom, which means uh, the general well-being of your soul, that your soul will prosper and there will be an inner spiritual health within you, and you will know the the peace of God and the contentment of God. And if you walk in obedience to the Word of God, your conscience will not be killing you, and there will be a peace within your heart. We could put it this way, according to verse 2. If you will not forget the Lord's teaching, and if you will keep His commandments... It will add years to your life, and it will add life to your years. That's what he is saying. Now, this is so important. This is so basic to the Christian life, to walk in obedience to the Word of God, that Solomon now repeats it in verses 3 and 4. And verse 3 is the responsibility, verse 4 is the reward. Just as we saw, verse 1 was the responsibility, and verse 2 was the reward. And these come in staccato fashion very quickly. They they live side by side next to each other, the responsibility and then the reward. So verse 3 gives us now the same responsibility that was stated in verse 1, it's just restated with a different metaphor. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Now, kindness and truth are two synonyms for the Word of God. Uh, the word kindness here is a, Greek, or is a Hebrew word, chesed, which speaks of the unconditional, loyal covenant love of God that binds Him to His people, that is an irrevocable covenant of love that will take us all the way to glory, and it is found in the new covenant in the Scripture. In truth, the the Bible is the word of truth, and so he is saying, do not let the Word of God leave your life, and not just in your head, but to be directing your heart and to be directing your steps, and this is so important that this particular verse has three lines in it, not just two lines as the others have. This is the only one that has three lines, and it's as if Solomon is underscoring this. He's taking a yellow highlighter and highlighting it. He's taking a pen and drawing an arrow to this so that this is unmistakable to our attention. You cannot miss this. Bind them around your neck. Just put a chain on your Bible and put it around your neck so that the Word of God can never leave you. You are inseparable from the Word of God. What you are on Sunday morning is the same attachment you have to the Word of God on Monday morning and on Friday night and on Saturday because it is bound around your neck. And then he drives it even deeper into our soul at the end of verse 3. He says, write them, the them refers to the commandments and teachings, write them on the tablet of your heart, and your heart is the very depth of your innermost being, it, it, it really encompasses the entirety of who you are on the inside. In other words, don't let the Word of God merely just lay on the outward, superficial facade of your life. Put it down in the depths of your soul. Write it with indelible ink that your mind, your affections, and your will are all governed by the Word of God. And this is exactly what Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, down in your bones, down in your heart, down in the depth of your your being. That's our responsibility. And look at the reward in verse 4. So, in other words, as a result of that, so you will find favor with God and good repute in the sight of God and man. As you obey the Word of God, you will find favor with God. Now, we have found favor in the gospel and in the merit of the sinless life and substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He is not talking about finding salvific favor or redemptive favor. But what he is talking about here is the, the pleasure of God upon your life. And God does not like disobedience. God's favor is upon the one of us here tonight who will take the Word of God, bind it around your neck, write it on your heart, so that your entire life is governed by the Scriptures, by obedience to the Word of God. You will be honored by God, and you will be honored by God's people. That's where this section begins. In obedience to the Word of God from the heart, motivated by grace, inspired by the glory of God, is that which directs us into the very center of the fullness of the experience of God's blessing. Every commandment of God in which God says, you shall do this, in reality, God is saying, help yourself to happiness. And every commandment of God in which God says, you shall not, God is lovingly protecting us from pain and injury to our life. The reward of the righteous, God's favor with Him and favor with man comes as a result of keeping His Word. Now, there's more that I want us to see because Solomon will build upon this. And now in verses 5 and 6, he will build upon, obey God. The second heading is, trust God. Verse 5 is our responsibility, your responsibility, my responsibility. And then in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, is God's Reward. There, there is a cause and effect relationship that is going on in every one of these couplets. The, the cause is, or the condition is, I obey God, I trust God. The reward is, you'll live longer, and you'll have a better life while you're alive, and you'll find favor with God and man. But now look at verses 5 and 6. Here's the second main heading, trust God. And this now naturally follows because, listen, as we obey God, we're moving out in the will of God to pursue what God has for us, and as we do, we must trust God for the results. So he says in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This follows up that we must keep His commandments. Trust in the Lord. That idea of the word trust is of one lying helplessly face down before a superior totally trusting in their care. It pictures a willing servant waiting for his master's command, ready to obey with a full confidence that as he will trust his master, he will leave the results to his master. His responsibility is not to figure it all out as a servant. A servant simply obeys his master's commands and simply trusts in his master to work everything out. The servant does not have to scheme and and try to figure out, now, how is this going to work out? No, you obey your master, and you trust him to know how to bring it to pass. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with the totality of your being, with all that you are on the inside, nothing held back in in, in reservation that you present your bodies as a living and, and holy sacrifice unto God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Now this verb, to lean, means to support yourself on something or someone to hold you up, to keep you upright. And he says, do not lean on your own understanding. And when he says your own understanding, he is talking about human wisdom and human perspective and worldly thinking as opposed to divine truth in God's teaching and in God's commandments. It is not saying that We don't use our mind. Of course we do. Romans 12 verse 2 says that our minds are being renewed as we commit ourselves to God and His Word. But our own understanding is how we would try to figure everything out with the wisdom that would originate within ourselves. He says, don't do that. And then at the beginning of verse 6, he says, in all your ways. That that covers the whole spectrum of our life. There is nothing that is uh, excluded from all your ways. There is nothing on the outside of in all your ways. Every step of life's journey in every category of your life, he says, acknowledge Him. Whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether it's private, whether it is public, whether it's at church, no matter where you are, no matter what the issue is, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him as the Lord over your life. Acknowledge Him as the one who has supreme command over your life. And what would the reward be? Well he tells us. And he, God, will make your paths straight. Now you're not going to be able to make your path straight. Only God can make your path straight. And God only makes paths straight. For those who will trust Him with all their heart and who will lean not on their own understanding and in all their ways acknowledge Him, it is this one and this one alone that God will make your paths straight. Now, what does this mean? Well, the imagery is is of a highway in the wilderness in which there are many crooked places that have to where the path has to be rerouted and there are obstacles in the way and there are rivers to forge and there there are mountains to to cross. And this is saying that in the journey of life, God will remove whatever would prevent you from moving forward in His plan for your life. God is a make-it-happen God. And God will move heaven and earth if necessary as you step out in obedience to His Word. And as you trust Him with all of your heart, God will move mountains. God will make a straight path. God will remove boulders. And He will remove obstacles. And He will take you from where you are and take you where you need to be. But if you're not going to trust Him with all your heart, And if you're going to marginalize His Word and obedience to His Word, then He's going to leave you to deal with the boulders. And He's going to leave you to deal with the obstacles. You and I must trust an all-wise, all-loving, all-sovereign God who has a plan for each of our lives. And it is only this all-powerful God, who can remove every hindrance that would stand in our way and prevent us moving forward as we walk in obedience to His Word. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And there is no other way to move forward in life if we are to enter into what God has prepared and planned for us, but that, number one, we obey Him, and number two, that we trust Him as we obey Him. And so tonight, in what areas do you need to trust God? What, what barriers are in front of you? What, what obstacles lie before you that seem to be impossible, that would hinder you from from moving forward? What is it that, that must be made straight, crooked ways made straight, so that you can advance in the will of God? Whatever it is, though it is bigger than you, it is infinitely smaller than Almighty God, and it is nothing for God to remove these obstacles but He is looking to us. Will we obey Him, and will we trust Him? But there is more. As we look at verses 7 and 8, we come to the third cluster. And this heading says, Fear God. First, we obey God. Second, we trust God. Third, fear God. He says in verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. That's our responsibility. God cannot do this for us. This is our obligation before God. Do not be wise in your own eyes. This is really an echo of the last line in verse 5 when he says, do not lean on your own understanding. To be wise in your own eyes is to rely upon how you naturally size things up from a human perspective with an early, with an earthly perspective rather than trusting God to know how to work this out. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear God. Do you see that? Fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Every Christian is described in the Bible as a God-fearing person. It's what we do as believers. We we are God-fearing people. And to fear God means to take God seriously. It means to reverence God It means to stand in awe of who God is. It means to tremble at His Word because He speaks with such authority to us. It means to hold God in highest regard and to show Him deepest respect and highest honor. This is the theme that runs through the entire book of Proverbs, Proverbs Chapter 1, verse 7, we have the big idea of the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Every one of us, when we entered the kingdom of heaven, we entered with the fear of God. No one enters the kingdom of God giggling. We all enter with a fear, a reverence. humility before God. And as we live the Christian life, we do not ever outgrow fearing God. We simply grow deeper and deeper in fearing God. And when we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, the end of all matters is this. In In other words, bottom line for everything, fear God and keep His commandments. And in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the theme of the book of Proverbs re-emerges with second verse, same as the first. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The more we grow to see the holiness of God, the more we grow in the fear of God. It is when we lose sight of His holiness that we become too chummy, too casual with God. And as we behold His holiness, we come to the sobering awareness of who He is. And we bend the knee in reverential awe and lift up our praises to Him fear God, as we obey God and trust God, as we obey Him. We are not to trust God and obey God with a cavalier attitude, but with a reverential awe that is beating like a heartbeat within our soul. That's what He is, that's the the building progression here. He says, fear God and turn away from evil. You see, the more we fear God, the more we will turn away from evil because we fear His displeasure. We fear His disapproval. We fear disappointing Him because He is so important to us. He is everything to us. And so, if our responsibility Is verse seven. Note the reward in verse eight. Cause and effect. Here's the the result. It referring to fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. A lifestyle of fearing God and a lifestyle of forsaking sin, there's less stress, there's less anxiety, there's less sin, there's better sleep, there's better digestion, there's more energy, there's more zeal, but when we disobey God, it is not well with our soul Or with our body. In Psalm 32 and verses 3 and 4, we read of David. When David failed to obey God, when David failed to trust God, when David failed to to fear God, his, his body suffered. And in Psalm 32, after he has committed his adultery with Bathsheba, and after he has committed murder with her husband, Uriah the Hittite, in verses 3 and 4, he tells us that it was like the hand of God was pressing down upon his body, and he had no more energy for life, and he's just dragging about the palace, and he can barely get out of bed in the morning, and he can barely sleep at night because of this unconfessed, unrepented of sin in his life. And in Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, when David chose to cover up his sin and not confess it to God, what does this text say? He says, my body wasted away. And what that means is the the strength, even physical strength, emotional strength, mental strength, spiritual strength, it just evaporated from, from his body. He says, through my groanings all day long. And if you saw David walking in the palace during this time, you would hear the heavy sigh that would come out of his his soul. Verse 4, for day and night, night and day, day and night, night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. It was like God was pushing down on him, and he had no more ability to, to move forward in the will of God. He says, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I know what it's like to be in Texas when it's 110 degrees. You know what it's like to be down in the desert here in California when it goes up to 115. I remember Al Mohler said when we had a conference down there, he says, even my eyeballs hurt. (laughs) And it just sucks the life out of you. This, it's like you're in an oven, and there's no vitality, and David is saying, that was my life across the board, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, because David left the path, and he went into adultery, and he conspired a murder, and he had this sin, this gross sin in his heart and soul. And in Psalm 51, in verse 8, he says the very same thing, and he's giving us a window into his life and into his soul. And he said, Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. David hurt so bad on the inside within his body, he said it felt as if he had gone through a car wreck, as if God has just broken his bodies, his bones. But, this says, if you'll fear the Lord and turn away from evil, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. There will be more zip, there will be more pep, there will be more desire to do the will of God. There will be more energy to get up in the morning and to move forward, to live for God. A refreshment to your bones. All of us need this. Don't kid yourself. If we take God lightly, then you're going to be running on your own energy. And it's going to be depleted before you know it. But if you will fear God and trust God and obey God, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out His reward and His blessing upon you, and He will move mountains, and make crooked paths straight, and remove obstacles, and He will refresh your bones, and He will heal your body in the sense that you'll be renewed to to serve Him, and you will find favor with God, and you will find favor with man. That's what this text is saying. That's why wisdom is so important in our lives. But there's more in verses 9 and 10 is the fourth main heading. After he has said, obey God, trust God, fear God, now he says, honor God. You see how God-centered walking in wisdom is? To walk in wisdom is to walk in a theocentric pattern of life, where God is at the very center of my life, the center of my thinking, the center of my passions, the the center of my pleasures. And so he says in verse 9 that we must honor God. Verse 9 is our responsibility. In verse 10 is the reward. So in verse 9 he says, honor the Lord from your wealth. To honor the Lord from your wealth means to worship God by giving to Him out of your possessions. The word honor here means to make a sacrifice, as a priest would offer a a sacrifice on the altar, and he is saying to, to sacrifice from your wealth to the Lord. In other words, put God first, even in your money. What you give to God is really an expression of of what you think of God. And if you truly fear God, trust God, and obey God, you will honor God by giving to Him from your wealth. And then he says, and from the first of all your produce. Give to God first. Live on what? remains. Don't give God your leftovers. You give to God first, and you live on what remains. That is walking in wisdom. That is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trusting Him for all these other things. This really comes from the viewpoint that we don't really own anything. Your car is really God's car. Your little checking account is really God's checking account. And it all belongs to Him. You're simply a steward of His possessions. You're simply managing what He has entrusted to you for this very short time. And He desires that we would honor Him by worshiping Him and giving to Him of our wealth. And so, what's the reward? Well, this is going to sound like a prosperity gospel preacher, I know. And again, this is not a promise, this is an observation, and there are exceptions. But this says in verse 10, sow your barns, please note, not little bags, not little bushels, not not barrels. But huge barns, please note it doesn't say barns singular, it says barns plural, will be filled with plenty, and the idea is if you will give to God, God will give to you. If you will honor God in your giving, in God's own way, in God's own time, whether in this life or in the life to come, God will cause plenty the reward to come to you to such a degree that it will be bulging at the seams, it will be filth overflowing, it will be bursting at the seams. You and I cannot outgive God. If we will give to God, God will multiply reward to us. That's what this is saying. And then it says, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Please note it doesn't say your tiny little cups or your little spoonfuls or your little thimbles, but vats, big vats, not just a singular vat, but plural vats. And what God will give cannot even be contained, and it will overflow these vats because you've honored God and worshiped God, not because you've worked the system to try to figure out how to name it and claim it and get rich and wealthy. No, my God shall supply all your needs, not your greeds, according to His riches in Christ Jesus, and His supply will always exceed our need. But there's a responsibility that we all bear, and that is to honor God out of our possessions. And you may say, well, one day I will honor God when I have a lot of money. You tell me what you do with the nickel that's in your pocket, and I'll tell you what you'll do with a thousand dollars a few years from now. If we're faithful in little, God will give us authority over much. But, But how can this be that there would be this seemingly abundance of God's reward? Even in a physical realm, well, I want to tell you a couple reasons why this would generally work out this way. Number one, if you obey God's word and if you trust Him and fear Him and honor Him, you will be a very hard worker. We heard about work as a believer this morning. You will have a strong work ethic, you will not be lazy. You will not be a sluggard. You will not be a procrastinator. You will be a hard, diligent worker who gives a full day's effort for a full day's pay. That kind of person's going to be hired by somebody. Second, you'll not make foolish decisions with your money. You're not going to just be throwing it away frivolously. In fact, you will be frugal you will not be ostentatious, of course you'll have more money. And third, you'll be honest because you obey God's Word. You walk in wisdom, and people want to do business with you, and they'll want to to hire you, or they'll want to contract you because you are honest because you keep God's Word, and you can be trusted with their business and with their possessions And fourth, if you follow wisdom and obey God and trust God, you'll not be a procrastinator at work, and you will not have to be told twice to do something, and you will be very responsible at work, and in all probability, you're on the path to doing well. I remember one graduation service for the, Ma- for the Master's College then. It was held at Grace Community Church, and President John MacArthur said, I want to tell you graduates two things, and if you'll do these two things, you'll be very successful. Number one, show up on time at work. And number two, do what you're asked to do. And if you'll just show up on time and just do the work you're asked to do, you're going to rise up through the ranks. And you may end up being even president of the company one day because most people can't even show up on time and most people don't want to do what they're asked to do. That's what Solomon's saying here. If you will apply yourself in the will of God it will be well for your life." So as we come to the last two verses, verses 11 and 12, the heading is, Submit to God. And here's the issue. What if? What if, as believers, we do not do the first four? What if we do not obey God, but we disobey God? What if we do not trust God, but we lean on our own understanding. What if we do not fear God, but are very apathetic and lukewarm towards God? What if we do not honor God from the first of our possessions? And the answer is what we see in verse 11, there will be the discipline of God in our life. God loves us so much that He will not allow us to continue to go down a path in which we disregard His Word, in which we are not trusting Him, in which we are frivolous towards Him, in which we are holding back rather than giving to God we will know the discipline of the Lord. There will be painful consequences that a loving God will inflict upon us, and it is this pain that is intended to bring us back to the place where we obey Him, trust Him, fear Him, and honor Him. It is His loving chastisement. And so he begins verse verse 11, My son... And what we have here is a literary device known as inclusio. Verse 1 begins, my son, and this final couplet begins, my son. These are like bookends around this section. As he wraps this up, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. And it will come with painful consequences to wrong desires. It will come in the form of trials and afflictions. That are brought about if there is a prolonged failure in verses 1 through 10. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, and he reminds Him and us in verse 12, for whom the Lord loves, and that would be all of His spiritual children, He reproves, He chastens, He disciplines, He rebukes, He reproves, even as a father, the son in whom He delights. And of course, you know, the writer of Hebrews would take these very verses and apply them in Hebrews chapter 12 and talk about those who are slow in pursuing holiness. We must submit to God, and there may be here tonight some of us who are under the loving hand and the loving discipline of God because we've been going too long in living for ourselves, and there has been a disregard for the Word of God and a continuing to move forward in disobedience And a failure to really trust God, instead leaning on our own understanding and failing to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. And if you find yourself tonight under this discipline of the Lord, know it is from a loving Father who desires to bring you to the point of repentance and to bring you to the point where you come back to obedience and trusting in God. And God takes this very seriously. And if that is where you should find yourself here tonight, this is God's Word for you. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord, but submit to it with humility, knowing it is for your good to bring you to the place where God desires you to be with humble obedience and loving trust. This is the reward of the righteous. There is the reward of wisdom. Make no mistake about it. It matters to follow wisdom. I began this message by asking you this question. What difference does it make in your life? If you walk in wisdom, I began by asking you, what would it matter? Why sweat it? And the answer is so clear that if you will obey, trust, fear, and honor God, it will lead to His reward. And there is a reward for those who are saved by grace. And it is God's desire to pour out the fullness of His blessing upon you. How is God? spoken to your heart tonight. How has God addressed your life? How has He addressed issues in your life? I would urge you, as we bring this conference to a conclusion, and as I bring this message to a conclusion, I would urge you that in many ways for this to be a turning point, for you to turn to fuller obedience, to greater trust, and a deeper fear of the Lord, and the Lord's reward will be lavishly poured out upon you in His own way and in His own time. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do take you seriously. We do understand we're living on your earth, and we're breathing your air, and we're drinking your water, and we are living with a life that you have given to us to live. And Lord, I pray for us that we would not squander this one life that we have, that we would live in such a way that we would seek to honor and glorify you. And we understand that there is a great and enormous responsibility that is placed before us. There there is a, a gravity and a weightiness. And Lord, we want to embrace this and by Your grace move forward in obedience and in trusting You. Lord, at whatever points there has been conviction of sin here tonight, I pray that there would be immediate... Repentance and confession and restoration to be back on the path. Lord, thank You for Your Word that has spoken so directly to us tonight. You have not sugar-coated the message in Proverbs 3, but You have also promised great reward. We are encouraged by this. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.